I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm so happy to be sitting across from Kathleen Shine, who is the author of The New Yorkers and The Love Letter, among other novels. She has contributed to The New Yorker, The New York Review of Books, The New York Times Magazine, and The New York Times Book Review. Lots of New York stuff. So I'm glad you're back in New York. Me too. Um, and her latest novel is The Grammarians. Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited. Tell me what got you into the idea of writing a novel about twins? Well, as always, that's not where it started. Yeah. It's sort of back into it. Okay. Especially with twins, because they're so complicated. I'm not a twin. I don't even know twins well. Um, it all started when I one day had this epiphany that I would write a book about translation, right. about two people having an argument about Two people who were translators arguing passionately and and ultimately having a huge feud about mm -hmm. how to translate something. And I wanted them to be very close. I wasn't sure if they would be a married couple or a couple at all or a father and a daughter and or son or something. I just wasn't sure what the relationship was, but that was the idea. Then, as with many of my epiphanies, I thought, this epiphany stinks because I only speak English. So <laughs> how am I going to do this? And then um, Janet, to whom I am married, said, well, what about, have you ever thought about something, someone like um, Dear Abby and Ann Landers, who were identical twins right. and both <clears throat> had advice columns? And had a huge feud for decades. Mm -hmm. um, and so that seemed like a great idea. Yeah. So I started I started writing that book. And it was set in my mother's era, basically, um, at, in their era. And um, it was going really, really 
really badly, and I was terrified oh, no. of writing about twins, and I couldn't get at them as twins. I didn't understand them, and I didn't like them, <laughs> and I didn't like the whole idea. So this is this is how my books come to be, <laughs> which is just rejection of 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 every idea you you work on for a year. Sure. Um, and then um. Janet gave me a little book called English as She Is Spoke, which was uh -huh. a, a sensation in the 19th century. It's meant to be a phrase book um, for Portuguese people traveling in English-speaking countries. The only problem is the person who wrote it, whoever he or she was, uh, could not speak English. <laughs> so, and, and people loved it. It was like a comic sensation. And um, um, it, it was the equivalent of going viral. And Mark Twain wrote an introduction to it and loved it. And um, so here's one of the, uh, here's one of the um, phrases that oh, the book yes, teaches please. you. Okay. The stone as roll, not heap up, not foam. It's like almost Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe that's meant to be a, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Sure. Um, another one was a horse bored, don't look him in the tooth. I don't know exactly what that is, but. Bored, uh, B-O-A-R. Oh, See, I was thinking of a horse who was just... Yeah, like bored. But who knows? Because this person couldn't spell right, either. Right. So anyway, this I, I she gave me this book to cheer me up because, A, Trump had been elected president, so mm -hmm. I was completely paralyzed in terms of writing yeah. um, for many, 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 many months. And B, it was going nowhere. And I read that and I thought, oh, well... I'm going to do this about something I really love, which is words yes. and dictionaries and my, you know, my my little hobby passion. And um, and then once I knew that and I started writing about these twins, they actually came to life mm -hmm. as as people, not as these very unpleasant um uh, twins that I didn't understand. Right. So that's that's how I got to twins. Wow. Yes. And so we meet Laurel and Daphne, um, but we also are introduced every, in every chapter. We have a, a definition yes. of a word um, throughout the book, and I love it. Um, one of my favorites is um, bookish. Yes. Which I feel like maybe has made a comeback in the past. <laughs> yeah decade or so because um in the book it says usually used contemptuously <laughs> well partly i think this was uh samuel johnson yes um making a joke um oh about, i'm glad okay but i'm not sure i mean i i think maybe he was saying people are you know use it contemptuously he also made it he he wrote about his definition of lexicographer, which is what he was. Yes, um, was very dismissive, also. So okay. So, um, but yeah, it 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 really struck me as something as something funny and um, and true in in some ways to some people. And just Laurel not and, us. <laughs> and and Laurel and Daphne both love words and language and. Yeah, I had I started reading about twins and 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 reading about some and um who people 
even people who aren't twins but are very, very close mm-hmm. in age um, sometimes have a secret language um, and um, when they're when they're really little. And I don't know if you've ever seen that YouTube of the two babies standing uh, okay. in front of the refrigerator going, <laughs> of course. Yes. So, um, so that I found very intriguing. And I, st- you know, and I wrote the, they, these two have a language as babies. Yes. And that was really fun to write. But then I, I had to stop myself at a certain point because I thought, oh my God, what is this going to be like that Bruce Willis movie where he's the voice of the baby? I forget what it's called. <laughs> Look who's talking. <laughs> Look who's talking. Um, yeah, I, I mean, but I was fascinated by you do do a work of translation in this book because there's yeah. the the goo goo gaga that they're doing, which right. is very specifically yours and theirs. Like it's right. it's not the kind of thing we hear from all the YouTube babies we're familiar with now. No, and I did try. I, initially, I thought, oh, I'm going to invent a language. Ha ha. That's that. Since I only speak English, why not invent an entirely new one? Um, that proved to be rather difficult. There are many rules to every language and and phonetic rules. And um, but I did. I stole a little bit from um, the Mitford sisters who mm-hmm. had a who had a uh, secret language um, <clears throat> that uh, that the the younger sisters I think spoke to each other. So I stole some of their. Um, I think it was called Bud. You know, I'm going to get it mixed up with uh, with uh, Mayor Pete because it sounded very much like Buddha. <laughs> I think it was Bud. It does sound yeah. like a, a anyway. word the Mitford sisters might right. say to each other. Right, right. <laughs> um, but then also your translation of of those nonsense words are just so funny. Well, um, good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really glad they they also the the girls also um love words in the dictionary you yes. know real words and um and i just i just had this vision of them playing with the words not not word games as we think of them mm-hmm. which um i think are fascinating but i'm really bad at them so that i it's just not my i can't do crossword puzzles or anything like that but so i just imagined them as like as if the words were what they are like you know like a little toy soldier or a little toy truck or doll but these are little words and them playing these imaginary games with them and that that was that was fun to fool around with are there any words that a particular twin liked that maybe was a part of their character development? Like, oh, well, the, one of the words when I was doing this, um, one of the words I became completely enamored of and and fascinated with was the word "other," um, because you know. Someone would say to one of the twins, "Oh, you're," or they would say, "I'm the other one." Mm-hmm. No, you, you know, "Oh, you're the other one," and the word "other" is so complicated. It's um, it is so many parts of speech. Um, it has all these different meanings. So that that one was a, sort of in the book took a deep dive into other. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think there's there's um, another part where where. One of the one of them is trying to write about fashionable words, words that are fashionable, and suddenly realizes because after all it is uh, the early at this point the early nineteen eighties realizes that all fashionable words are about food. Yes, and and when I was researching that, which was really fun, 
um, I just I had to like call all these people <clears throat> who um, who had been food writers or right. you know and and say what was it's very hard to imagine now how exciting certain foods were at that time because now they're so ordinary right um so i was you know busy finding finding all kinds of i mean just even i don't know escarole was <laughs> yeah, <that's... you> know, <laughs> or raspberry vinegar was a mm-hmm. huge thing and everyone was talking about it so um the different yeah i wouldn't identify a a single word with either of of the girls but their interest uh, eventually diverges yes. in, in language. So yes. that is more what distinguishes them, I think, than particular words. I didn't know that you didn't have any twins in your life. Yes. This is where I reveal that my older brothers are twins. Yeah, it's so cool. I don't know why it's so cool, but it is really cool. It's It's certainly interesting to observe because these are two people who don't have an identity really outside of the idea that they are two people who are together. Yeah. And more so than a husband and wife, more so than a mother and daughter or any close relationship. Does that does that bother them? Do they ever try to break out of that and say, hey, I'm I'm an individual. I'm different from. So here's what happened. Yeah. Of course they tried. Of course. And, you know, it, it, all of the cliches are true. They're each other's best friends and worst enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we see that in the grammarians, of course. Right. Um, and I'm they, glad I got that right. You, it, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, they know how to push each other's buttons in a way that no one else is able. Like, it, it's wild. Yeah. And for a long time, they wanted to go separate ways. Um, and they moved to different cities and started doing different things. And now they are both police officers. <laughs> Jewish police officers. Twins. Jewish, Jewish twin police officers. Are they in the same city? No. Okay. They still live apart, okay, which I that's... think I think actually cuts back on a little of the tension. tension. Yeah. Yeah. Much like how Laurel and Daphne live in different parts of New York City. Right, even. right, right. Um, that's that's really, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I tried so hard to, as you always do with any character who's, you know, if you're writing a character who is not exactly my age mm-hmm. um, and my temperament, um you know, I have to imagine what it is for them to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And I thought a lot about these twins um, in relation to each other and in relation to the to the larger world. And then when I, um, getting back to words, when I, I looked up the word twin, mm-hmm. and, um, and it has two meanings. Um, the f- first meaning is as a noun, where it means the same, two of the same. Right. And the second meaning is to sever. Um, and I thought, oh, that really <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> tells you a lot. Yeah, indeed. So sometimes words um, are a clue to getting into a character, and sometimes characters need certain words to get them where you yes. where you want them but that was a that was a good discovery looking things up in the dictionary was the best part of 
writing this book because it's like sanctioned procrastination. <laughs> and you can just sit. And I love dictionaries. And I just sat and I looked and I thought, oh, that's a good word. Oh, that word has a good sound. Oh, I didn't know that meant that. And it yeah. was it was great. It was really fun. And it was fun even to learn a little bit of what you learned from, from reading the book. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. So I, I just want to know, um, your brother's... I want to know their names. Jay and Seth. Oh, those are those are good names. They sort of go together, and yet they're One different. One syllable. Yeah. No. I like. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm interested. I had a lot of trouble finding names for for Daphne and Laurel. I went through a lot of uh, sort of nicknames. The the way that um, uh, Dear Abby and Ann Landers right. had their nicknames, um, and. Uh, and finally realized uh, it just, you know, once in a while an idea comes that doesn't get discarded and realized that, oh, Daphne and Laurel, sort of the same goddess, minor yes, Greek goddess yeah. and perfect. So, and, and, and I love, because I've observed this too, yeah. how their parents react to them, which is... Oh, good. Because in any other parent-child relationship, I would think, you feel automatically like you're the most important person in the world to them. Right. And, of course, that's not the case with twins. Right. That that was something, you know, some of this I read about when doing research about twins, but that was something I didn't read about, about how parents felt about having twins. But it was something that I kind of discovered as I was writing the book. I thought, wait, they're so important to each other. How does their mother feel? Yeah. It must be very, very weird for her. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the father has a, a different relationship with them, and and uh, and is feels less excluded. But the but um, the mother was a character who developed kind of late as I was writing, and became more interesting to yeah. me as I yeah. went on. And by the end of the book, I think kind of which I'm not gonna really discuss, but <laughs> yeah. but um, kind of became very important in, in terms of how she understands the twins and what their lives really are going to be. So Yeah. Well, I'm glad I got that right. And, you never and know. And also that, that feeling of knowing that these two beings are going to be each other's best friends and or worst enemies forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. When I finished writing the book, I thought, I suddenly thought, oh, I wonder if I wrote this whole book as a message to my sons, which is you better be friends, you better stay friends mm -hmm. when I'm dead or I'm going to come back and haunt you. <laughs> um, but I don't think so. But a little bit. <laughs> well, what was, have they read it? Have they? Uh, no, they don't read. Well, one of them is reading it because he's he's actually going to interview me at uh, at Google where he works. Wonderful. He's a, he's a linguist, and so of course he is. Of course he is. Yeah. So, but no, in general, they don't read my books, which I think is wise mm -hmm. for all of us. My brothers don't listen to the podcast, which is no <laughs> <laughs> boys. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about writing. Manhattan in in the 70s? Well, luckily, 
or unluckily, 60s. some might say, I was in Manhattan yeah. uh, in the 70s. Um, and I used to come, I grew up in, in Westport, Connecticut, a suburb. And I used to come in all the time, which I, I this I find unbelievable, but it's true. I used to come in barefoot because I was a hippie. Wow. And I'd take the train in and I'd walk around New York City barefoot. Um, that, when I think about it now, is, the, oh, God, teenagers are really bizarre <laughs> people. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it was fun to, to, it was interesting and fun to go back and remember what it was like um, and, um, you know, finding that fifth floor apartment yeah. walk up with the cockroaches and the you know and um and the east village and the east was... village when it was really grungy and a little scary and um a lot scary and very druggy and um yeah that that was i one of the things i did was um i looked i looked at a lot of photographs on you know online mm-hmm. to um and it really brings you back, you know, just in an instant. Um, but I also, I worked, um, I, I didn't live in the East Village. I lived in the village. Um, and uh, and I worked at the Village Voice. So, you know, there were right. a lot of a lot of good uh, good things to, to throw in there from the past. And Daphne, of course, gets well, a job at a yeah. publication that may or may not be. Yeah, it's not really the Village Voice, but although there are a few details that were definitely from the Village Voice, the um, I do believe that the uh, uh, the receptionist um, left after one of the uh, after one of the columnists punched him in the face because he said, "I don't know, one jazz musician was more important <laughs> than another," so he quit. Um, so yeah, there were certain things that I used that were real, but m- no, mostly it's it's all sort of made up. There were, you know, there were a few really. I mean, the Soho Weekly News had just started. There right. were some good, really good journalism going on down there. And and so you worked backwards in terms of this idea of there would be a conflict around language. Mm-hmm. How how do you start then having Laurel and Daphne diverge in into what their beliefs will be? Well, I had always um, from the time I knew about I, I was a copy editor for for a while, right. not a very good one. But um, because I can't spell, which <laughs> is a problem. But um, but I I did it and I learned. And, and the more I learned because of that, the more every time I learned like the difference between which and that, I felt more and more superior to the to the rest of the world. Right. And then once you learn those distinctions, you start noticing them and um, and you start looking down on the people who use them incorrectly, mm-hmm. which is, of course, absurd. So, but uh, that's what I did, and I felt very strongly about it. And um, and then I started uh, talking to my son, Tommy, who explained to me, you know, that this really uh, was um, a kind of uh, social construct and, and that... Yeah. Um, and 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 then I started reading. I, I I'm very interested in this, so I, I read a lot of um, 
blogs and um, language log is a, a wonderful um, thing that comes out of the University of Pennsylvania and um, they're really great smart linguists on it and they're very funny and so I started understanding that this was actually just a like a fashion or like manners. It was exactly the same as as table manners. Not exactly, but close right. enough, uh, like table manners. And that you, your table manners are different when you're sitting on the couch, you know, shoveling Chinese food from the, <laughs> right. from the container into yes. your mouth or when you're at a, you know, at a, at someone's celebration for something and you're at a wonderful restaurant and you're eating properly. At least you hope that that that's true. Now, (laughs) you see there, I just avoided using hopefully, even though it's the perfect word. Right. But because I was indoctrinated that you shouldn't use (laughs) it, I still have trouble using it, even though I know it's really an important good word. (laughs) So these things die hard. And there were many arguments in my household about all of this, and then I learned about code switching mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and and uh, and I learned about descriptivism and prescriptivism. The yes. two and prescriptivism is is pretty unfashionable among linguists, but it's quite fashionable among copy editors and <laughs> right. um, and uh, people who write about grammar and and try to you know scold people about their grammar. And I you know and and. I, I do think it's very, very important to edit and to look at language and make it beautiful and make it work and be right. to know what it is you're using or not using and not just um, ignorantly, you know, just blabbing. Sure. Um, so yeah, so so I realized that this was the this was this was the thing that was going to split them up. Um, and it's partly having to do with their temperaments. And one of them winds up um, writing poetry eventually. Yes. And the other becomes a, a, a pretty established um, language columnist uh, telling people what to do. Yes. And I think they both have their their roles. And it can be pretty extreme on either end of the of the prescriptivist descriptivist divide but um but and i'm you know i'm sort of open to to all discussion about language so i i that was it was interesting for me and people people have been asking me oh are you a laurel or a daphne Hmm. so first of all i'm thrilled that they have personalities that when you (laughs) can ask that yes and are they aren't just in um indistinguishable um but of course, I'm neither and both. I wish I knew as much as they do because you know your characters right. get to know much more than than you do. <laughs> and but I also am not as uh, a doctrinaire about either either position. But it works wonderfully as a plot device because, of course, yes, twins will be on the extremely different side of a very, very specific issue that That's they both have to be experts. Right, in. right. That's and, and it's, in some ways, it's the same. Yes. It's got to be a, a, the same issue, but they, they both are still um, c- completely enamored of and obsessed with words, but they have to define themselves by going in completely different directions, which then turns them almost into enemies mm-hmm. or rivals, certainly. Yes. Tell me um, 
quickly about the decision, Laurel's decision in particular, to to be a mom and and about her identity in that regard. Mm -hmm. When uh, in my day, Mm -hmm. eons ago, ought, uh, you know, 1912, no, in my day, (laughs) um, that was, and it just, Damn it, it still is yes. an issue. And I suppose it will be for a long time until there's child care and yes. things like that in this country. Um, but it was a big decision to make. Were you going to work and have children or just have children if you could possibly afford it? Um, and I and I felt that she could afford it and it was the and it was something she would want to do to be there with this little person, mm-hmm. particularly as this little person learned to speak and to yes. to understand the world using words and through words. And um but her sister, you know, is is very dismissive of this decision and and thinks it's pathetic and yeah. and thinks that you just keep on working. Now, both of them are quite privileged and entitled. Right. and uh, they both can work at home. They both have husbands who earn a living. Yes. So that, you know, that changes the, the dream. <laughs> yes. Yes. The um that changes the equation quite a bit. But in within that context, that's that's they both go in these different directions, um, which I think are both valid and interesting and difficult choices that women, of course, have to keep making. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're what you've been reading. You did this amazing New York Times by the book. I think it was like one of my favorite ones. And so I don't want you to have to repeat anything. We'll put we'll put it in the show notes. But okay. what el- <laughs> what else are you into now? Well, um I've been re- I've been reading a lot about um Alma Mahler because I'm writing something about her and um that has taken up my entire summer and has been and and fall and has been absolutely delightful um and shocking it's it's so wonderful when you read about an earlier period in history right. and realize they were so much more shocking and <laughs> um and weird than we are um and I just started a book last night um, by William Trevor, but because it was last night, I can't remember the title of it because I just started it and yeah. started and and it's wonderful. It's set in Ireland, and he's he's William Trevor's kind of beyond yes. amazing. So beyond. that's been that's that is what I'm that is what I'm reading right now. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.